Good morning to you all. Thank you, pastors Bob and Jesse. The Lord is good, amen? He is good all the time. My wife and I enjoy watching movies. Movies are a way that we relax. Now, there are a lot of bad movies out there, lots of them. Not just bad as far as morally, but just bad as far as plot. There are probably more bad movies than there are good movies. But there's also a small selection of really good movies. And one movie that I really enjoy, it might be a top ten of mine, is a movie called Unbroken. Have you seen this movie? This movie comes from a book called Unbroken. Same title for the book. And in this story, in this movie and in this book, it is about a man by the name of Louis Zamperini. Louis Zamperini was a World War II vet. Prior to joining the Air Force, he was an Olympic sprinter. He ran in the Olympics in Germany before World War II started. And he enlisted in the Air Force, and as he was flying a mission over the Pacific, his plane was shot down. And he ended up living, and he was lost at sea for about 47 days. Imagine that. And during this, while he's at sea, he's, he's there with two other men, and one of the men dies. And he's later rescued by the Japanese. And the Japanese take him and he becomes a prisoner of war for two years. He ends up surviving. He's rescued by the Americans. But he returns back to America only to be plagued by alcoholism and depression. He's celebrated as a war hero, but he has these personal demons that he has to deal with. But later, going to a Billy Graham revival in L.A., he meets the Lord Jesus Christ. And his life has changed. A truly incredible story of redemption. If you're looking for something to watch, it's a, a very good movie. If you're looking for a book to read, it's a wonderful book. Story of redemption. And in the, in the movie, as Louis is getting on a train to go to the Olympic trials, his brother says this to him. His brother says, A moment of pain is worth a lifetime of glory. A moment of pain is worth a lifetime of glory. What a powerful statement. A true statement. And what we're going to see this morning, a biblical statement. This is what I'm going to argue this morning. The difficulty that lies ahead, specifically with reference to death, the difficulty that lies ahead for us Christians is a gateway to the glory beyond. Let me say that again. The difficulty that lies ahead is a gateway to glory beyond. That's the large idea that I'm going to be tackling this morning. Using my cue from what Louis Zamperini's brother says. A moment of pain is worth a lifetime of glory. The difficulty that lies ahead is a gateway to glory beyond. 
Let's go ahead and open up to Philippians 3. This morning, we'll be covering the latter part of verse 10 and verse 11. This is what the word of the Lord says. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, if you remember, which I hope you do, last week we dealt with verse 10. Don't worry, I won't be preaching the same sermon. But the end of verse 10, I don't think I really dealt with it adequately, where Paul says, becoming like him in his death. I want to touch on that again. And also, I want to link that, becoming like Christ in his death, with what verse 11 says, which is that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. So our passage, the chunk of scripture that we're covering, is this, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This morning we're concluding a mini-series within the book of Philippians, and that mini-series covers the three aspects of salvation. Now, I've repeated this many times, and I promise I won't repeat it again for a long time if you promise to remember, okay? Deal? So in verse 9, 3, 9, Paul says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. I argue that that refers to justification, the initial point of salvation. There is a real sense salvation is, ought to be for you a past experience. I was saved. There's a moment when we come to Christ. And at that moment, we are justified. Justification refers to a past experience tense notion of salvation. But there's also a present tense, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I argued last week that sanctification, the process of salvation, I am being saved. Sanctification includes both a crown and a cross. It is a burden and it is a victory to be sanctified by Christ. We experience his resurrection power, but we also experience the same sufferings that he did. That's what sanctification is. And this morning, finishing this up, glorification. Justification, past tense. Sanctification, present tense. Glorification, future tense. There's coming a day. It is not now. But there's coming a day of full redemption. And that's gonna be our topic this morning. Full redemption. But to get to that point of full redemption, there is a hurdle that we must overcome. That day of future glorification is not today, it's in the future. And we're gonna have to overcome a hurdle. And that hurdle is death. And here I'm segueing into my first point. And that first point is this, very simple. Difficulty ahead. Difficulty ahead for us for us as Christians and even as non-believers, if you're not a Christian. The future holds something that will be difficult, and that difficulty is death. To get to glorification, 
to get to the point of complete and total redemption, we have to go through death. Looking at the passage, Paul ends verse 10 with the statement that I already mentioned becoming like him in his death. Here, we, here Paul mentions death right at the end of verse 10. Now death is something that we all acknowledge, that we all assent to, but we don't like to think about. That's the natural tendency. Death can be scary. So we all acknowledge it, but we might not act like it's really relevant. But in life, there's nothing more relevant than death. I shouldn't say nothing more. There are few things more relevant in life than death. We are all going to die. And the Bible commands us to consider our own mortality, whether we are young or whether we are old. We all live in a world where it is possible that we could die today. And there's great wisdom found in contemplating our own mortality. Psalm 90 verse 12 says this, Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. One commentator puts it like this. Teach us to recognize our death. There's coming a day when we will die. And the Bible says that it's important for us to consider death, to consider that our days are numbered. In this life, we're just passing through. We're all pilgrims headed to a certain city, whether it is the city of destruction or the celestial city. We're all passing through. And to get to, get to each of these cities, we must enter through the means of death. Now look how Paul talks about death here. It's not just a general death. It is Christ's death you see this modifier, his. And the idea here is related to what Paul says in the phrase before this, and may share his sufferings. In the Christian life, what happens when you are a Christian is that your life, you become, your identity becomes now in Christ. And Jesus' life is now a model for your own. And that his sufferings become your sufferings and his death becomes your death. That's the idea that we're modeled after Jesus Christ, that Jesus is our Lord and that because he is our Lord due to the power of the Spirit, this image of Christ is engrafted into the believer and it is so engrafted that our death, the death that we die through that process, what happens is that the Spirit conforms us to Christ's death. By the power of the Spirit, what happens in our death as we die, as we fade from this world to the next, the Spirit applies the power of the gospel, the Spirit applies the power of his resurrection to us in our death. So becoming like him in his death, what does this mean? It means a number of things. But the way I'm taking it this morning is that as we die, 
The Spirit engrafts in us Jesus' death. In other words, at Jesus' death, he had to suffer through the greatest trial that he ever had. His obedience to the Father was most tested. Jesus' crucifixion was the greatest trial that Jesus had. It was the time whenever he was most helpless, most vulnerable, losing control of his life to the powers of darkness. And what happens in our death is not the same. Let me be clear here. It's not the same, but it's similar. In our death, what happens is that we are stripped of all earthly pleasures and abilities to hold on to this world. And death will likely be your greatest personal trial that you must go through. We can talk about death, we can talk about the difficulty of death, but you never really experience what death is like until you go through it. And we all must go through this reality. But in light of the gospel, death is not the end. In light of the gospel, what God the Holy Spirit does is he takes Jesus' death and he applies it to us. And through that process, we become more like him. And that his sufferings become our suffering. His death becomes our death. Union, that's what we have with Christ. Union. But this is very difficult. These realities that we talk about, that I'm talking about, it's one thing for me to discuss them. It's another thing to go through them. Difficulty lies ahead for us, dear Christian. But the difficulty we must understand in light of the gospel, in light of Jesus, And what happens in the gospel is Jesus takes death and he turns it into a gateway. Death is the means by which we are saved. It is the way that salvation comes to the believer. You cannot get to the celestial city except through the river. You must die. Now there's an asterisk there of which I'll 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 touch on later. The general pattern of humanity is that you must die to get to glory. But death changes. Death is a gateway. Death is not the end. Death is a door. Death is a door that the Christian opens, leaving this world and going on to the next. But the barrier, what divides those two worlds, is death. But on this door, there's a doorknob. And that Christ has turned this doorknob And you are to follow after him. A way to explain this in more detail, this this notion of death as a door, death as a gateway. It's like this. So in my house, I have many doors. Yeah, no duh, right? I I have doors in my house. Now, whenever I come home from a day of work, let's say it was a tough day. We all have difficult days. Let's say it was a tough day. As I drive into my garage, I park my truck, I get out of my truck, and I go through my garage door. Now envision with me what is on the other side of this door. What is on the other side of this door is a group of people 
who love me unconditionally. A group of people, three of them, call me dad. And coming home from a hard day, what I hear is, Daddy, and I'm embraced. This is a world, this is a room, this is a house of love and acceptance and joy. But to get to that world, to get to that place where I'm called dad and where I'm seen as a hero, I have to go through this door. I leave the difficulties of the day behind and I go from one place to another. But there is a gateway, there is a door, and that door is like death. For the Christian, what separates us from eternal glory is a difficult door to open. But I want us to see this morning the glory beyond it. Death is a door. It is not the end for the Christian. And the glory behind the door for the Christian in the afterlife, we're told very few details. In this house that God is building, in this new heavens and new earth, we're told very little, very little about what lies in this house, in this place. But it's glorious. Over and over again, the Bible describes it as glorious, unimaginably glorious. Now, we are given some details, few details. And one of the details that we're given is that in this next world, behind this door, there is a reality, a physical reality that awaits the believer. What lies beyond this door is a physical resurrection. And here I'm segueing into my second point. The second point is this, glory beyond. The first point, difficulty ahead. There's this door that we're going to have to open. And this door is difficult to go through. But what lies beyond this door is glory. Glory beyond. Unimaginable glory. Looking at our passage. Becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What lies beyond the door is, quote, the resurrection from the dead. That is what awaits the believer. But we need to deal here with the beginning of verse 11, that by any means possible. If you're reading, if, you're not, if you don't have an ESV this morning, if you're reading a different translation. Your passage is, is likely going to say something different. And what, what, what the different translations are indicating, this is important. Anytime you read a good English translation, let's say NIV, a NASB, a KJV, and an ESV, that's a lot of E's. Let's say you read all of those translations and each one of them has a different translation. You know in your mind that the, the Greek here or the Hebrew in the Old Testament is difficult to translate. And that's what we have here. This is a difficult passage. The beginning of verse 11 is difficult to translate. The way I'm going to take it is this. What I think Paul is saying, Paul is not sure whether he will attain the resurrection 
through death or through the rapture. Paul is not sure how he is going to get to the world beyond, whether it's going to be through the door of death or, some, or the door of the rapture, Jesus coming back. And to show you this, look in verse 20, 320, Philippians 3.20, just a little bit below. Paul mentions Jesus is coming in the same chapter, Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship, excuse me, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What will Jesus do? Verse 21, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Verse 21 the, quote, transformation of our lowly body to be like his glorious body, that is the resurrection from the dead. What Paul says in 321 is a further explanation of what Paul says in 311. The resurrection of the dead is the transformation of our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Paul does not know whether 321 will happen in his lifetime, just like we don't know. We don't know if the Lord will continue to tarry or if the Lord will return this day. We don't know that. We don't know if we will die. We're confronted with two options in coming to glory, either through death or either through Jesus' second coming. And what Paul is saying in 3.11, what he is saying is that I don't know how I am going to attain the resurrection of the dead. I don't know whether it's by this option or this option. I'm not sure. But he strives after, in light of the uncertainty, what he does is he strives after the resurrection from the dead. He makes this the end goal of his life. He must persevere regardless of how he attains the resurrection. That's how I take what Paul is saying at the beginning of verse 11, Philippians 3.11. That's what I take him to mean whenever he says that by any means possible, whether through death or through the resurrection. So once again, the resurrection, what the resurrection from the dead is, is that our souls will be united with a new body. We have a physical hope in the future that Jesus Christ will transform not just our spirit not just our soul salvation is more than spiritual dear friend Jesus will transform our soul and our body and the resurrection from the dead is the ultimate goal of salvation that is where we are going is to have our bodies and souls together saved. That our lowly bodies will be transformed to having a body like Christ. A physical, real, touchable body. Now to further explain what this notion of Christian salvation is, it is helpful to contrast this, this resurrection from the dead with ideas that it is opposed to. It's helpful to contrast what the resurrection 
of the dead is different then. It's helpful to say what the resurrection of the dead is not. First and foremost, Christian salvation, where we are headed, where the Bible says Christians are headed, is not reincarnation. Reincarnation is not a Christian idea. I hope all of you already know that. The resurrection from the dead is not reincarnation. We are not headed to becoming some other life form. That is a ungodly idea that does not derive from scripture. And I hope that we kind of all have that conviction already. But the resurrection is also not that we become angels when we die. That we become angels. I don't know where this idea came from. Maybe a Hallmark card, you know, I'm I'm not sure. But we, when we die, are not going to become angels. We're not gonna be changed into something different. We're not gonna become an animal, reincarnation. We're not gonna become an angel. We're gonna still be human. We are and forever will be humans. Now there's one more idea that the resurrection of the dead is not. And this is probably, I imagine maybe some of you have thought, and thought this way and even communicated this. There is this idea that we die and go to heaven, that we'll be on the clouds and that we'll play harps and we'll kind of have a spiritual existence. Now I want you to see, dear friend, why that is incomplete. What is Paul after? Is Paul after a spiritual existence? Paul is after a physical existence. The future goal of the Christian is not to die and go to heaven. That is a step. If you were to die right now, your soul would go to be with God. But there's coming a day whenever God will raise your body from the dead and God will put your soul back in this new body and you will live forever with God, not just in heaven. We want to be more specific here. Not just in heaven, but in the new heavens and the new earth. This is a physical existence. We will have bodies in the future. We will run and we will do all types of physical activities. So this is more than just dying and going to heaven. It's dying and going to heaven, yes, that does happen. But that is a step to a further step. And that further step is dying and going to heaven and then rising from the dead and living physically with God in the new heavens and the new earth. That is where we are going. That is the end of Christianity. That is salvation. That is glorification. That is where we're headed. And it's very important, dear friend, that we emphasize this. It's very important that we emphasize the physicality of salvation. And this is why. Salvation, salvation is incomplete unless it redeems all that sin touches. Let me say that again. For salvation to be full, total, and complete. For salvation, for God's plan of redemption to be full, total, and complete. That's what we want, right? Total victory over sin. For salvation to be full, total, and complete. Salvation must extend 
to every part of reality that sin has touched. For salvation to be full, total, and complete, salvation must extend to every part of reality where sin has touched. If sin has touched the physical, then salvation must also extend to the physical. From this song, Joy to the World, listen to what it says. Joy to the world. Now, I might sing this a little bit. Do not tell the elders that I'm doing this, okay? No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. Far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. This song rightly teaches the resurrection. For salvation to be true, it must extend, quote, as far as, excuse me, it must extend, quote, far as the curse is found. Is the curse found in your body? Yes! You die! You get diseases! You have to go to the doctor! Your family dies! This is all a result of sin. This stuff is not neutral. Death is not neutral. Suffering is not neutral. Having to go to the doctor is not neutral. It is a sign of the curse. And for God's plan of salvation to be complete in us, those things must be redeemed. Those things must be redeemed. Now in my body, I've had relatively good health. I've actually had wonderful health. Wonderful health. My family has had good health. And in order to really get here, in order to really say to the Lord, yes, Father, you will redeem my body. Your health must be taken away. And I know many of you are struggling with bodily pains. You're struggling with diseases. Accidents, trauma, sickness. Maybe you have family members who have diseases, lifelong diseases, lifelong difficulties in their body. And this is such a burden. It is such a burden to bear. The tears that we cry over our body, the frustrations that reach into our soul because of our body not functioning the way it does. Remembering the day that you used to have perfect health and now all you can see is difficulty in your body. God cares about this. God's plan of salvation reaches to this. And think of someone who has struggled with this their whole lives. Someone who might be born with some deformity or who had some type of disease early on in their lives. I think here of a, of a prominent Christian figure. Her name is Jody Erickson Tata. Jody Erickson Tata. For those who don't know, Jody Erickson Tata is a, is a prominent Christian author and she's also a quadriplegic. At the age of 17, she was swimming and she dove into a shallow pool of water and she had an accident. 
And since that day, she's been a quadriplegic, quadriplegic for her whole life. She's paralyzed from the shoulders down. 52 years of this. This is pain. This is misery. God cares. God has a plan. God has a plan for your body, dear Christian. And it's not to rot in the grave. It is to raise it from the dead. Salvation for you, dear Christian, is not partial. It's not just in your soul. It's in your body. God will one day fully redeem you by means of the resurrection. And what this all means, dear friend, this is the application. All of this is by grace. All of this is by grace. We don't deserve this. All of this is solely because of what Christ has done. He went through the door first. He never had to go through the door, but he willingly went through that door for you. And what he gives you in return is a future body beyond the door that will never decay, that will never rot, that will never feel pain again. And not only for you, dear friend, but for your loved ones. For your loved ones. Imagine that day when you see the ones that you've loved who have suffered for so long due to physical ailments and you see them in the resurrected body. Mm. It's all of grace. It's all because of God's kindness. And we have hope. We have hope as Christians. Yes, difficulty does lie ahead. Yes, there can be difficult days. But what lies beyond is an eternal reality. A reality that I cannot adequately communicate. The words that we put on it. The words that we put on the degree of glory that we will experience are words like, it is inexpressible. It is unimaginable. That's the best that we can do this side of eternity. But it is glory. The Lord Jesus who will transform these humble bodies of ours into the likeness of his glorious body. We have hope. Dear Christian, as you struggle, as you fight, as you go to the doctor, as you receive this diagnosis and this medicine, hold on to the resurrection body. It's coming. Christ's redemption and salvation for you is total. It doesn't just go to your soul. It goes to your body as well. Let's pray. Yes, Father, we thank you for the hope that we have. Father, I pray for two groups of people this morning. I pray for the fearful. Father, I pray for those who fear death. Lord, I pray that your grace would be towards them. Father, they would consider their death, but they would consider their death in light of Jesus' death for them. I pray that you would encourage them, that you would show them the beauty of the gospel, 
that you would show them that in light of the gospel, death is a door to a world of glory unknown. I pray for those who are fearing death. And Father, also I pray for, for, for the people, for the Christians who in their bodies, they have many diseases, many pains, many failures, many troubles. Father, I ask and pray that you'd fill their hearts with hope. Father, fill us all with hope. Fill those who suffer with hope. Cause us to all hold on to the physicality of future redemption. You care about our pains, Father. You care about our traumas. You care about our frustrations in our bodies. You care about the sadness we have for those who suffer around us. Father, fill us with hope based upon the resurrection. And all God's people said, amen.